Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We surrender to you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his um, ability to walk with us, uh, to not look down on us, but to give us a chance. And thank you for loving us that much. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're on the home stretch in this series called Family Vacation. And I was thinking about a way to try to explain this if you're kind of new to this sermon series. And probably the best way is we're looking at what are some of your vacation activities, family activities, and then what's a destination in the scripture where that's kind of the focus. So today's activity would be fishing. Now, when I say fishing, in most activities, there's usually like people are like, oh, I kind of like that. Fishing, either you love it or you're like, that is so lame. So even if you don't like to fish, just hone in on this because the background of this story we're about ready to share in Luke chapter 5 is all about fishing. But it's more than just fishing poles and bobbers and mosquitoes and hooks and nets and all that. It's so much more than that. And I hope you catch that. Matter of fact, I love a couple of these quotes about fishing. It says, if people were uh, really concerned about the important things in life, there would be a shortage of fishing poles. That's Doug Larson. And here's something when you think about fishermen, and I want you to think about Old Testament fishermen, okay, because that's huge, Old and New Testament fishermen. When we fish, what do we think? You got this really nice pole. Uh, I remember starting with my Zebco 33, and you got little bobbers and all that you know, you, get, you go to the store, it's got all the baits and all that stuff. That's not how they fish. They had these nets, and fishing was more than recreational. What was it? And that was their livelihood. That's literally putting food on the table. And Warren Worsby made a couple of observations about the fishermen that Jesus chose. And I want you to think about this, because I'd never thought of it this way. It is estimated that seven of the 12 disciples, their occupation that they were fishermen. Now, why would Jesus look for fishermen? And here's what I love. He said, first of all, they're fearless. They are risking their lives. When they get out there and a storm rolls in, uh, they don't have Doppler radar. I mean, they are out there. And so it is dangerous. They also have to have the ability to work together as a team. You don't go solo fishing. It's a family project most of the time. And if you're going to do well at it, you have to work well together. Matter of fact, just to give you a kind of a, an inside look of what preachers do is you try to capture, capture a quote from a brilliant person so that you will be like, I can't wait to hear what he says next. Most preachers use like C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham. I'd like to start with Jeff Foxworthy, okay, if that's okay. <laughs> so listen to Jeff Foxworthy. I love this statement. It says, look at where Jesus went to pick people. He didn't go to the colleges. He got guys off the fishing docks. That's true. Where did Jesus go to find the people that were going to turn the world upside down from him? He looked for the guys with callous hands and a willingness to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Matter of fact, there's two absolute non-negotiable truths that we're going to learn this morning. Here's the truth non-negotiable truth number one. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. One day, Jesus was standing by, and this is the Sea of Galilee. There's several names, but it's the Sea of Galilee. 
The people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him, put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, I love this, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for the catch. Now Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night. and We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Here's the absolute truth non-negotiable truth. We are all called to trust and obey. Uh, how many remember the old school hymn, Trust and Obey? Trust and obey. That's all I'm going to sing. Okay, so you remember that? You know, I remember sitting there in church as a kid. I'm like, what does that song even mean? You know, and my mom would be like, that's a great song. You know, so <laughs> trust and it seems so simple, but I want you to think about how profound that really is. Trust and obey. Now, this isn't Lake Monroe that Jesus is talking about. These fishermen have been out all night. This is their livelihood. They are exhausted. They're drying out their nets. So you get the scene. So they're here basically wrapping up while Jesus is teaching. So here's the crowd, and they're listening to Jesus, and they're probably listening in the background, but really they're thinking, they're probably blaming one another. I'm just, I'm reading into this, but you know they're probably saying, I told Peter we were never going to catch anything there, but he, you know, Peter, you know, and they're griping because they haven't caught anything and they're grumbling. And it's interesting. Jesus looks around, sees the two boats, and he immediately issues a challenge to move the boats out into the deep water. Now, how deep was that water? Well, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, seven miles wide, and at the deepest point, it's 150 feet. In the middle of the day, the bottom line is, guess what? You don't catch fish. And you don't drop nets into deep water because what? Your nets don't even get to the depths of the water. So you know Peter's thinking, you're a great teacher, but you know nothing about fishing. Now, he wasn't going to say that, but you know that's what he's thinking because what did he reply? Lord, <laughs> quick fishing lesson. We've been out all night. We're pretty good at this. You don't get it. If we push out into the deep water, this is a bad situation. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? Lord, you know, I don't understand why you've asked me to do that. Matter of fact, what is he calling? Master. Master. It's the only time that word is used in Luke. And you know what master means? It actually means rabbi. In other words, you are the teacher worthy of following. If you tell me to do it, that is enough. That's enough. And it needs to be enough for all of us. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus meets people. He meets us where we're at. Did you notice the way that he was going to get the heart of a fisherman? Go to where they fish. That's how he reaches all of us. J.K. Johnston, a minister, went through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he counted every time that Jesus had a contact with an individual. You want to guess how many individual contacts Jesus had? 132. What's that teach us about Jesus? 
It means Jesus is willing to meet us where we're at. He will go anywhere. He met people at temples, at weddings, at wells. He met them in the city. He met them in the country. He met them in their homes, and he met them where they worked. He went to where the people were at. Don't you love that? He didn't set up shop, have a beautiful building, and say, listen, I will be here between nine and noon. Make your appointments appropriately, and then I'll have some coffee ready. Don't be late. He didn't do that. He went exactly to where the people were at. I think that's why Peter, and remember, these disciples, they had been following Jesus for nearly nine months to a year. He didn't just randomly show up. They'd heard his teachings. They'd experienced his miracles. And now when Jesus says, push out into the deep water, Peter says, whatever you ask me to do. And what I love about Jesus is when he shows up, he never shows up like a celebrity. You know what I mean by that? 2015... (laughs) This is kind of funny. In the Chatsworth Charter High School in California, they were having a prom. And there was a celebrity that was bored and grabbed a couple of security guards and said, you know what, I never went to a prom. Let's go to that one. Well, Justin Bieber showed up, and guess what? The place went nuts, absolutely nuts. Matter of fact, here was the description. Scores of teen girls screaming. Now, I can relate to that because in 1978, that's the problem I had. You know what I'm saying? I walked in with my powder blue tux and it was like, seriously, I can't even breathe. Get off me. And then I woke up, you know. But what I love about Jesus, he never carried on like a celebrity. Like, oh, you're lucky I'm here because I'm Jesus. I'm the son of God. Never. Jesus had this amazing way of just going where people were at, and they sensed from him, man, he really does care about me. And I can get as close to Jesus as I can possibly get. I can even touch Jesus. And sometimes I see Jesus even reaching out towards others. That's why Jesus had such a profound. That's why he's worthy of those words, trust and what? Obey. Now, how important is obedience? Well, how many parents and grandparents do we have here? When they're babies, it's all about trust. And I just love you so much. And then as they grow, what matters most? Their words or their actions? Now, come on, seriously. Because after a while, the words don't get the room cleaned. They don't get gas in the tank. You know what I'm saying? They, that doesn't get them to work on time. And you could make this whole list. And how many times have you had that discussion? Like, I know you keep saying this, but that really doesn't help. I just need you to do it. Now, maybe you've never had those conversations with your kids or your grandkids. Maybe you've had it before church today. I don't know. But I know this. God's the same way with obedience to him. He's like, you know what? I, I love your words. I love that you sing worship to me. I love that you're praising me. Sometimes that's pretty easy. What I'd love for you to do is just obey what I've asked you to do. Are we willing to trust him with everything? I love what Claudia Mitchell says all the time. It's never too late to do the next right thing. Peter did the next right thing. Peter said, Lord, if you say push out in the deep water, we're going to push out into the deep water. Non-negotiable, trust and obey. Here's the second one. Look at verses 6 through 11. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, I love this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he has all the companions who were astonished at the catch of the fish that had been taken. And so was James and John and sons of Zebedee. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, what? You will fish for people. And you probably heard the phrase, you will be a what? Fisher of men. Now let that sink in. Sorry, talking about fishing. Let that sink in of what is going on. And this is the non-negotiable. All of us in this room are called to be fishers of men. Everybody sitting here today, you're called to do the same thing. I mean, unpack this story and you see how powerful it really is. Imagine uh, Jesus reaches out to them and he orchestrates this amazing situation. In the scripture says he looked and saw two boats and we may think, oh, that was very spontaneous. I don't think so. I think when Jesus showed up that morning, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he knew when those guys got in that boat and they started to make their way out into the deep water, every emotion was in that boat. Think about it. They've been up all night, so they're exhausted. They failed. They haven't put any food on the table that day. So they're, they're feeling deflated and defeated, but they're also excited because Jesus is in the boat. And so you know they're kind of talking when they're saying, hey, I think the odds are probably a billion to one we're going to catch it, but Jesus is in the boat. He's in there with us. Who knows what could possibly happen? And then notice what happens. It is one, to me, it's one of those, if you just close your eyes, like this morning, and I was just trying to picture this, I'm like, oh, how, how cool it would have been to be there. Paddling out into the deep water, let down their nets, and can't you hear the first guy go, oh man, there's a tug, and there's a tug, and all of a sudden, I think there was such a rush I can't imagine it because they're screaming, get over here, the net's full. Hey, my net's full. And they're all scrambling and they're, the fish are jumping in there. I just picture Peter looking around going, we're going to need a bigger boat. We've got to have a bigger boat. This is amazing. And I imagine in that moment, they realize this isn't just some guy that teaches us and loves us. This has to be the son of God because this is impossible what's going on here. But notice Peter's response in verse 8. He fell at the knees of Jesus, and he said, what? Man, Jesus, thank you for the best day in my professional life. What a day. Or did he say, you know, we are going to make a lot of money. We are going to make a ton of money. No. He said, what? Jesus, go away from me. For what? I'm a sinful man. Over the years, I've had so many conversations with people that said, what will, what will you do the first time you see Jesus? Like when you, when you are in heaven and you come in contact with the presence of Christ in the conversation, what do you think you'll do? And I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and I guarantee what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your knees. You are going to be so blown away, not just by his love, but by his holiness. And you notice Peter's response is, he fell down and said, Lord, how can you possibly use me? Because he realized this is Son of God. You know my thoughts. You know the mistakes I've made. You know what's ahead. How can I possibly help you? It's a common theme throughout Scripture. In Isaiah 6, 
we hear the prophet say, woe is me, what? I am ruined. In Job 42, he said, I despise myself. And I love what it says in Revelation 21, 17. John, throughout his vision, starts by saying this, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Yeah, that's, that's Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus is worthy of our love, but I tell you what, he's worthy of our reverence. And to realize, let me tell you, we will fall on our knees. What does it say in Philippians? Who's going to fall on their knees? Everyone is going to fall on their knees. But that's not where the story ends. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 10. Don't be afraid, because now you will fish for men. And they left everything, and they left them. And they went with Christ. Man, imagine that. They'd fished their whole life. This is all they know, and they're willing to walk away. Why? Because they know this is going to change my life for the rest of my life. Now, I think this is an important question. And this is why I said we're all, we're all called to be fishers of men. In other words, God has called everybody in this room to reach out to other human beings and to show them the kindness of Christ and the love of Christ, and that's how you draw people Christ, everyone here. I mean, it is annoying, to be honest with you. I think people think, well, that's the minister's job. Are you kidding me? It's, if, if we lean on just a minister, how pathetic of a plan is that? God said, no, no, no. All of us are fishers of men. All of us carry the light. And here's the thing. All of us can go places that nobody else can go. All of us can have impact in ways nobody else can have. So I was reading an article in this magazine called uh, Outreach, and uh, the author said this, and I absolutely love this. He said, you always think of the word bless for anybody saying, but I don't know how to do that. Think of the word bless. Let me just quickly walk you through that because all of you can have an amazing impact for Christ. Number one, always be, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Like You're like, I just want to have a spiritual conversation. You know what? Pray about that. God, I really want spiritual conversation. I guarantee God will lay somebody on your heart, but always begin on your knees. And then, L, listen. Learn the power of listening. Uh, this week we had, um, at Sherwood Oaks uh, East, the main campus, we had a leadership summit, and it was a satellite from Willow Creek. And it goes, I mean, literally all over the world. And uh, Bill Hybels interviewed Melinda Gates. Uh, she's worth a few bucks, by the way, if you don't know who Melinda Gates is. And he said, tell me your strategy of investing billions, and I'm not talking millions, billions of dollars all over the world to work on starvation and to work on uh, childhood death and all these polio, the list goes on and on and on. What do you do? I want to hear your strategy. And then they showed a couple of pictures. She goes, well, I get out a mat. I set it on the ground. And I bring some folks in and I listen. Why would I come in thinking I already have the answers? I've just got some questions. So the first thing I do is I listen. You know why that's so hard for a minister? Because we're not good at listening. We've been trained to talk. And I think people think, oh, you want to reach somebody for Christ? Learn how to talk. No, no, no. Huh? Learn how to listen. E is eat. I love that one. Eat. Really, the best way you want to start reaching people for Christ is Christ always goes where the people are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very um, 
biased about this. I absolutely love the coffee house downtown called The Poor House. I love it. And if I'm there for more than an hour, what I love the most is if I just kind of mingle and look around, I'll start seeing different uh, ministers, parachurch leaders, all over, and they're meeting friends and they're meeting others there. And a lot of times, I'm, I know they're reaching out to students that don't know Christ, and I always think, now they could have set up an appointment and met in a church, but they could have met in a library. Why are they meeting in a coffee house? Now think about that, because you meet people where they're at. You meet people where they're at. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are, and then serve, and the blessed serve, serve people. People don't care how much you know what till they know how much you care. And then story. Story is just simply, you really want to hear somebody's story. Instead of just immediately jumping and parachuting in and saying, whoa, 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 let me cut the story off. I've got about 30 seconds. You need Jesus. Can we talk? It doesn't work like that. How well does that work when somebody knocks on your door and they hand you a track and say, I've got seven minutes. Would you like to talk about Jesus? And you want to say, would you like to mow my yard? I mean, no, that doesn't work, does it? You know what works? Time after time, are you willing to listen to somebody's story? A few years ago, I don't even know why I had this thought, but um, the church years and years ago, do you remember we used to really get hung up about tattoos? I grew up in a really staunch church. I'll just put it there. So we got off on why you shouldn't have tattoos. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's kind of silly that we're so worried about tattoos. And what I, what I thought was really cool is to ask people, man, I love your tattoo. Would you tell me? There's a story behind that, isn't there? And you can't believe how I've heard some pretty remarkable stories. I was getting my hair cut one time, and I mean, this guy wasn't just tatted up. Her, and, I mean, everything that, where there was skin, there was a tattoo, you know. And I said, man, a lot of tattoos. I said, uh, I'd like to hear your story. She goes, well, next week I'm going to Sturgis. Do you guys know what Sturgis is? If you're into motorcycles, you know. Trust me, she had a story. And I was then a little nervous about getting my hair cut. You know, I mean, <laughs> but she had a story. And my daughter and my wife made fun of me one time. This happened last year. I was on the subway in Chicago, and there was a guy in front of me, and I noticed a date was tattooed on his arm. And I just leaned over and I said, I noticed you have a date on your arm. And so I know that has to be significant. And he almost started crying. He said, well, that's the day my wife died. It was just a few months ago. And he says, I'm still having a hard time. And I said, oh, man, that has to be so hard. And then he looked at his daughter and he goes, boy, we miss her, don't we? And she's like, yeah, we really do, Dad. And there was, there was just a part of me, and I'm like, I just want to spend more time and hear the rest of your story. Just so I could pray with you because, man, I just can't believe how much you must be hurting right now. Everybody has a story. We all have a story and we want to share our story with others. But man, I love that Jesus wanted to hear other people's story. He loves to hear our stories. You want to reach people for Christ. Bless people in the name of Christ. On your chairs, uh, we put a card for everybody. And Decision Sunday, uh, Sherwood Oaks every year has a, a Decision Sunday. And the Decision Sunday is on September 11th. 
this year. And I thought the greatest way that we can be prepared for that is we need to start praying right now for Decision Sunday. And I also want to clear up any confusion. When we say Decision Sunday, we're, just, we're not just talking about people who might be desiring to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, want to be baptized. Others, their decision may be, hey, I, I would love to be a part of this church body. That's great. But there's so many other decisions that we all need to consistently make as we pursue being right with Christ. So I want you to start praying now for that Sunday. But I want you to turn the card over because this is critical. Is God has placed, there's a blank, on my heart to pray for until 9-11. Who has God laid on your heart right now? Like you're thinking, oh man, my heart breaks when I think about this person. They need Jesus Christ so desperately. Maybe they've never accepted Christ, or maybe they're walking or running so far away from God right now, but you can't get them off your mind. You can't get them off your heart. And so I want you to start praying right now for that person, and I want you to keep praying until 9-11. People desperately need Jesus Christ, and we are called to be his light, to be his fishermen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your willingness to walk with us every step in our lives. And Lord, we know that there's just people in our lives that you've put on our hearts, people that feel so broken. I mean, just like Peter, they just feel like, how could you possibly use me? How could you possibly love me? You have no idea the mistakes I've made, but Lord, that's what I love about you. Just reach out and say, it doesn't matter. I'm always with you. I will always be with you. So Lord, for these next few weeks, just help us every day to pray for that person, to just lift their names up, that they're on our hearts, they're on our minds. And Lord, give us the courage to make the call, to do whatever it takes, to go wherever you want us to go, to reach those that desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.